people get motivated because they are involved. They are part of the prioritization project. It's not the board of director or somebody else saying which are the priorities. And therefore, it really extremely helps companies defining priorities. Welcome back to the Master Your Business podcast. I am your host, Deirdre Martin. This week, we welcome Gregorio Uglioni, a specialist in business transformation, innovation, and my favorite, customer experience. Greg's cross-industry engagement and in-depth know-how has allowed him to become recognized and awarded several times over within the customer experience community. Greg is the host of the CX Goalkeeper podcast. He's been a judge at several international customer experience events. And to top it all off, I have had the incredible privilege of co-authoring a chapter in a book with Greg, which was a multiple global best-selling book. It's called Customer Experience for Folks. If you haven't checked it out, you can find it on Amazon. So today, I hope you enjoy our conversation about how you can improve customer experience within your business and how to create value through amazing CX and customer service, as well as much, much, much more. If you find this episode has brought you value after you've had a listen, please, I would really appreciate it if you would take one minute or less and give it a quick rating wherever you're listening to podcasts. Okay, now let's get into the episode. Greg, it's fantastic to have you here on the show with me today. And just for those of you who are, who are listening, Greg and I met when we both co-authored a chapter in Customer Experience 4. I had come across his name before. I had read his chapter in a previous Customer Experience book. So it was super to become a co-author with you, Greg. But why don't you tell the listeners a little bit more about who you are, what you do, and how you came to be the CX goalkeeper. Sure. First of all, thank you very much for your time and giving me this opportunity to share my learnings, what I am learning throughout my career together with your audience. My name is Greg. I am the CX goalkeeper. And why CX goalkeeper? I am putting together two passions that I have. One is customer experience and the other it's really football or for our friends in the USA it's soccer and it was a, lot, a short discussion with a great guy that it's also in our customer experience community and he said the best thing if you want to push to what you want to share is use your passion leverage your passions and you know I could also speak about the usual example, the best practices in customer experience, speaking about IKEA, speaking about Starbucks, speaking about uh, Ritz Carton and Disney, but it would be one more that share always the same example. And therefore, I said, I want to speak about customer experience, but I want to leverage uh, soccer and uh, or football and and therefore i have plenty of examples that i'm happy to share but before we start um, deep diving in customer experience and in these examples perhaps two three additional words about me first of all uh, my corporate job i am working in a hospital leading the business transformation and i if i say transformation then for me it's always focused on customer customer-centric transformation in our case patient and employees and I am a family father. I love and enjoy spending time with my family. That's me. <laughs> Fantastic, Greg. And part of the reason why I brought Greg on 
is because of his incredible experience with managing projects and bringing people together to get results. So, Greg, why don't you tell us a little bit about that and, you know, maybe some tips. So one of the one of the caveats for coming on here is that you must share some valuable, actionable workshop style tips so that people can apply them practically in their business. So where would you start with your experience around project management and delivering results? Uh, I think if we discuss about this topic, for sure, we should always start with the people and therefore customer centricity. But in this case, I want, let's say, to start discussing about automation. And the first topic, it's always everybody will come to you and tell you, you need to automate, you need to automate. And I think automation is a solution, but it's not the solution for everything. And therefore, in my research, I found out a book that um, the name is The Best service is no service written uh, by bill price uh, the first vp of customer service of amazon and he wrote this book several years ago and there is really sharing something that it's mind-blowing at least for me and i hope also for your audience it's all about how to strategic change drive transformation when we are speaking about processes that you have in your company and every company has a lot of processes. Let's take the example of customer service that you need to service your customer. And there is really sharing this, uh, this simple methods that's uh, the value irritant matrix and it's based on a matrix. On the horizontal, you have the customer. Does it bring value to the, does it bring to the, to the customer value, this interaction, or is irritated? And on the, on the vertical, you have exactly the same question, but from a company point of view. Does this interaction bring value or is it irritating? And there you have four different blocks, building blocks that you can leverage. And if you allow me, I can start deep diving in each one of them. Oh, yes, please. So this is called a value irritant matrix, right? Yes. Please tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> sure, because at the end, we all want to, to create value, but some interactions are irritating for the customer or for the company. And therefore, starting always with the most important piece. If an interaction brings value for the company and brings value also for the customer, then perhaps it's not the best way to automate. It can so you can support with technology, but there you should leverage this uh, this interaction. And leveraging means putting two humans together and use the power of empathy and create value. Perhaps I can make an example that's make it a bit more understandable. Yes, please. Uh, a customer a customer is calling your contact center and is sharing that he wants to cancel a subscription. And if you would have it automated, then you cancel the subscription done and you lost one customer. If you think, okay, let's leverage this opportunity to generate value, to understand the needs of this customer. And then you start a discussion and you find out uh, with the customer that um, this person wants to cancel the subscription because she has no time or he has no time to read your newspaper or to read your articles, but he goes out and is, is going for jogging then you can offer him something different. You can cross-sell, upsell this, uh, this, this customer instead of losing him with an automated process. And then you can say, okay, you can perhaps start listening to our podcast. It's free of charge. And you find the content interest and you can subscribe to 
this or that, or you can buy this book and you don't lose the customer. And I think nobody in, in our business, in the business, wants to lose customers. That's fantastic. And I suppose the question I would have, and for, for maybe for people listening, what is the best way to instigate that process? So if you're not going to automate it entirely, where people unsubscribe or cancel a subscription, what do you recommend that they do to be able to gather those insights? I think the first key, it's really to starting understanding the intent. Customer are contacting, contacting you and you need the biggest technology companies names that front door, you can name it as you want, but you need to understand always two things. Who is the customer and what is his intent? If you start knowing who is the customer and who is, uh, which is his intent, then you can start deciding how to handle this customer and you can do it in a technological way with voice recognition, for example, or with other tools, but it's important to understand the intent of the customer. Okay, makes sense. That's great. That was the first box, uh, value for the customer and value for the company. Then let's move, for example, to um, something that is irritating for the customer, but it brings value for the company. Mm -hmm. It means, I repeat, irritating for the customer, value for the company. And these are, for example, all the compliance checks that we need to perform. For example, you are also coming from the banking industry. Mm -hmm. Customers need to confirm that they live at the same address every three months, every six months, depending on the regulation in your country. Mm -hmm. And this is extremely irritating for the customer because you are contacting me. You are interrupting my normal life to ask me a stupid question. Sorry to say that and to use this word. And therefore, they Companies need to really to find ways to simplify. That's the big word in this box, simplification, to simplify this process as much as possible. Not asking you, could you please fill in again your address here, but sending you your address and saying, could you please quickly confirm that's your address? And by the way, we are doing it for a compliance reason. That's a regulation. We need your support. And there, there are clear also analysis statistics that shows that if you proactively contact the customer, you make it as effortless as possible, customer are happy to support you. I love that. Yeah, so that comes back to part of the customer experience training that I'd have had many years ago about frictionless and stress-free. And that's really what people are looking for when they're engaging with any business. And it doesn't matter, you know, really what that business is. If it's something that adds value, I suppose the, the goal of any company owner or business owner should be to make it as easy as possible for people because the more obstacles that we create, the more likely we are to send potential or existing clients to our competition, right? People just want easy. Exactly. And also there, for me, it's coming back to my first statement. It's not always about automation. If you extremely simplify the process, then it's easier to automate that or to make it effortless. But first, you need to go through a simplification process and then you can start designing your process. And therefore, again, my statement focused on this classification and then when you classify that then you can start automating or doing something and you know what really strikes me as well in this section greg is the empathy that you referred to previously it's about really understanding what it's like to be the customer and to be asked to do certain things that 
you know, are an irritant for them and how really brainstorming, how can you make this better? Yeah, I love it. Exactly. Thank you. Now we are going to the, let's say, worst piece, <laughs> worst box. It's irritating for the customer and it's irritating for the company. And then instead of automating, you need to eliminate this process. Mm. Because if it's irritating for you and ir it's irritating for the customer, then please, please find the root cause of this process and eliminate it. The best example is complaints. I know we know a lot of uh, a lot of companies, a customer is complaining, and then we try to find a way to solve his or her personal issue without thinking that other customer could face the same complaint. And therefore, you say, oh, I'm super sorry for that. I will send you a voucher, $50 that you stay with us, and we're super sorry. The next customer going through this process will have exactly the same issue. And therefore, please, please, instead of automating these processes or digitalizing them, fix them. And fixing them is find the root cause, and then you don't have these interactions. And if you don't have this interaction, you don't need to automate, to digitize, or invest time. Invest time once, fix it, and then go to all the process. Here, here, Greg. I love it. I'm totally on board with you with this one. That makes complete sense. And again, this is something that I regularly say to existing clients as well. There's no point automating a problem because the problem just becomes literally automated. You need to find a solution. And uh, there's, there is a framework as well, which is Dele it's something to do with eliminated or delegated and automated. It's again, it's a way to, to find efficiencies in your business. You probably know more about that than I do, Greg, but there's no point automating something if, if you can't simplify it first or, or fix it or improve it first, because you're right. It literally just puts the problem on a cycle that doesn't benefit anybody. And I can totally see how customers will be very frustrated with that, but equally, the impact of that on employees who are having to continuously deal with that situation. Oh, I've got some dogs here making some noises just in case you're thinking, what's that sound? But yeah, I, I've been an employee on the front end and I'm sure you have different points through your career as well, Greg, where there is a problem and it's the same problem repeatedly. It's incredibly demotivating for team members. And uh, last last year I was at a, uh, actually it was earlier this year I was at a conference where somebody spoke about a leader that they had hired a people leader that they had hired in their company and one of the things that this guy said during his interview when he was asked how would you keep people motivated was what he'd said was my job is not to keep people motivated. My job is not to create obstacles that demotivate people. And that really struck me at the time. And I think this comes back to your point with this worst box, where if you're creating systems or processes that are irritating customers and clients, fix it. Just fix it. Yeah, don't demotivate everybody. All the stakeholders cost your company money, lose clients. It's just no good for anybody. Okay, Greg, here, here to this one, 100%. <laughs> the, the last one is, is creating value for the, for the customer, but it's irritating the company. Mm. And there it's clear, there you need to automate mm. because their automation makes sense. And also you're creating an, an example. The customer goes out, wants to buy something and he forgot the personal identification number, the secret number of the credit card. This is irritating for the company because the company needs 
to identify the, the customer and need to send it out. And therefore, that it's extremely important to automate this process because the customer wants the value now because he wants to buy something. And therefore, these are this great example of depths where you can now look at your secret number and then you can just use it. For example, Revolut. Revolut is as one of the first in the credit card business or card business that were able to show your PIN in an app. And therefore, you're out in the shop, you want to buy something, you can quickly double check, oh, it's the right code. You put in your code and then you can buy. Boom. You created value for your customer without irritating your employees to a nasty process that it's not bringing value for the company. Yeah, I love that. What Can you think of other examples, Greg, let's say that maybe some small business owners, like a lot of the clients that I work with, they're service-based consultants or, you know, they have smaller companies. They're not like big banks and things like that. Can you think of an example where a situation like that might arise for, for those types of clients? The, the simplest, simple example for small business, if you have also 10, 15 people in your companies, reset password. I'm not speaking about client's password. This is also an example, but for your employees, why should they uh, contact your IT department or something like that? Set up a process where your employees can reset their Windows laptop password by themselves there extremely quickly. And this is possible. Please don't tell me that it's not possible because I saw a lot of small and big companies doing that, say using a second factor, using something different. But then you don't need one person every morning or every Monday's morning that people are coming into the office, they forgot their secret code and they cannot start working. And these are a small example that everybody can, uh, can apply and it makes life easier of employees. Oh, that's such a good example, because you're right. I mean, that's costing companies money. People are sitting there and they can't work because they can't even access their systems. Amazing. I love it. OK, Greg, tell me, what else have you got up your sleeve for us around being really efficient and uh, helping businesses grow and scale in a way that's customer centric? Uh, I will come to the next topic in one second. Please give me the last chance to speak about this value-related matrix. I am really, it's mind-blowing for me because it helped me a lot during my transformation career to explain also to top management that it's not always about automating, but it's thinking in a strategic way about processes and how to, to, to then digitize them in a, in a smarter way. The last thing that I want to mention is being proactive. Being proactive, if you leverage also this opportunity and you proactively contact your customer, if something happens that you see in your system, back to this credit card example, credit cards, credit cards get blocked by the company, but the company waits that the customer call in and they say, why, what, what the hell, why you are waiting that they call in? Tell them, uh, we block your card due to a fraud case. We blocked your card because you forgot to pay your bill or something different. And I think this proactive shows to your customer that you are, you are really caring about them. And here we are in a complete different way because if I know that my, the company is caring about me as a customer, then I come in an emotional setup that I cre can create really a stronger relationship with this company. Sorry that I added this, but I think it's extremely important for every small business or even more important because if you can create an emotional relationship with your customer, then they will stay with you. They will buy more from you and they will spread word of mouth that it's free of charge advertising. And that's the best advertising that you can have. 
I love that. And actually, that that reminds me of an example when uh, when COVID hit first. Uh, at the time, I was still working in the bank and the branch. You know, we had limited capacity in the branch in terms of staff and the bank branch banks in Ireland at the time were considered essential services. So people were allowed to travel to go to the bank. But one of the things that we did was we reached out to the people who we knew consistently came in for specific transactions to say, we're open, you know, how can we help you? Do you need us to do anything for you? And so those people who regularly came into the bank branch were still serviced, maybe not in the exact same way, but we we looked for solutions to be able to help them engage and you know maintain their finances during these really unprecedented times so yeah I and I think you know that was something at the time it was about that empathy piece and was it costly for us it wasn't necessarily because we didn't have customers coming through the door and we were being paid anyway right so I mean we were fortunate to be that way but some of the people that we were reaching out to were maybe quite elderly couldn't leave their homes and like that, they were so appreciative of the effort that we'd put in to help service them, which was lovely. So yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying about that. And thank you for circling back to, to recap and re, reiterate the importance of using a tool like the value irritant matrix. I haven't heard of it before, but you can bet your bottom dollar, I'm gonna be implementing this in my own business and telling loads of people about it as well. Okay, great. The second tool that I would like to share together with you, it's a prioritization framework that I already used several times and it helped me, but helped also top management to understand what really needs to be done. I think it's also your case, but the case of your audience. Entrepreneur, small companies have a lot of ideas and they can, should create a backlog of ideas. And let's say in an agile way of speaking, limiting the work in progress. You cannot work on 200 ideas at the same time. So you don't have the time, the resources, the budgets to do that. And therefore you need to pick the most important topic, the highest priority for you now in this point of time, and you can start working to them. And if you uh, apply this agile way of working using a backlog, limiting the work in progress, and I add one additional agile um, basics, stop starting, start finishing, then you can really create a difference because then you come in a working mode, then you know that you are working the priorities, your employees knows the priorities because when you apply that, then you can use it also as a communication tool, showing to all the employees what, what they are doing. And the, the way that, or the framework that I know from, from, comes from SAFE is the weighted shortest job first. It means we, your teams, are going to do a prioritization and select the weightest shortest job. That is the, the one that brings you the most value and start working on that. And based on the resources that you have available, then you can say we pick also the second one, priority two, priority three, priority four. This framework coming from SAFE is, in re is related to the cost of delay. And to explain the cost of delay in the simplest way is the opportunity cost of having the same thing now 
or getting it later. If I have it now, it starts creating value for me now. If I have it in two months, it starts creating value for me in two months. Let's go back to the efficiency example. If I have the efficiency now or in two months, it can be perhaps a different. And therefore, it pays on this cost of, of delay. Mm -hmm. what, uh, what people are doing or what this group is doing, it's really creating a relative comparison. You select one project, you say this is the project I want to compare with, and you say, does this second project bring more value or less value? I define. I will define quickly how the value is defined, how the calculation works. And what I really like in this way, and this is one way of doing that, it's really a gamification of this priorities, prioritization process. And you, we know how important also to involve people, to engage people. You select a group of stakeholders that are, are allowed and are empowered I repeat, I am empowered to define the prioritization because if they do that and then the top management is going to say, no, we don't care about it. These are our priorities, then it won't help. Therefore, you need to empower this group. You need to select a group and they are going to go to an agile planning poker. It means you take really cards and you start playing with the cards poker. All right. Don't worry and don't stop me now. <laughs> I think I'm going to share something interesting for your audience <laughs> and it can bring value. I know you are going to say this, this, guy is, this guy is really strange. This is something that I really applied and all the people were, were, were working with. Let's say you define, you take, and I stay with the word value. I will explain value later. You take the, in your five, six ideas, the project, the initiative that you say has the less possible value. And you define, this is my re my reference project, and I give to this project the value zero. Then you can use and leverage the Fibonacci numbers. It's quite easy. Fibonacci uh, numbers are zero, one, three, five, eight, 13, 20. You are always adding the previous two numbers until 100. And then you say, okay, this second initiative, does it bring twice as much value as this, uh, as this reference project? Three times, five times, 13 times, 40 times, 100 times. And you start defining the value of your different projects. Still understandable? Can you follow me? Yeah, I, ca I can follow you. Yes, okay, keep going, tell me more. Perfect, now the Let's say the, the, the issue is you want to create an agreement in this team that this project, the second project, has, let's say, eight times more value than the first one. Mm -hmm. And the, the team will discuss until they have an agreement how much value is it this project compared to the other. And then you can you can create your prioritization list. Mm -hmm. To, to make it even more complex, but that's the reality, um, this weightest, shortest job first is suggesting several criteria that you can go through, you should go through to relative evaluate your project. The first one is the business value. Does it improve the customer acquisition? Do we have a business case? How big is the business case? Uh, do we decrease the cost, for example, efficiency? And then you can start really evaluating this. The second one is time criticality. How critical is this project for us? And 
the, the easiest example in this case is compliance regulation. If you need to be compliant for GDPR by this and that date, then the criticality of this project increase over the time. Mm -hmm. If you have two, three years, perhaps it's the, the, the value, this Fibonacci number is quite low, but if you have still have only two months to comply to regulation, then this value is extremely high. And you start again, you, you look for the project, the initiative, the idea that has the lowest time criticality, time criticality zero, and then you start comparing. It's uh, two times, five times, eight times more critical, and then you come to again to an agreement. The last thing, you make exactly the same process. I'm not going to explain that for risk reduction opportunity enablement. This is to reduce risk or creating new opportunities. Sometimes you need some enablers. Again, an example, you need a cloud solution to then offer some products. The cloud itself, it's not bringing you business value because business value is brought by the products that you are launching, but you need this uh, opportunity. And cloud, it's a prerequisite, the opportunity enablement to achieve this business value. And you do exactly the same classification. If you sum up business value, time criticality, risk reduction, opportunity and enablement, these three numbers, then you have the cost of delay. How much it costs to you to wait for this project. And now you have a relative classification of all projects, all initiatives, all ideas, top down from the most important to the less important. If it brings the biggest value, it's extremely time critical and uh, in, uh, give you the biggest opportunity from a mathematical point of view, the biggest cost of delay can be 300 because we said the highest Fibonacci number that we use in this prioritization is 100, therefore 100 plus 100 plus 100, it's 300. Mm -hmm. But now it comes the reality because then comes IT and say, the first project has um, a job size, a duration, a complexity that is extremely high. The last one with, for example, or the second one or the third one has a um, smaller complexity. And therefore, for sure, we need to take care also of the complexity of this project. In this weightest, shortest job first, way of doing, you use the duration, that it's the job size, how much effort is to implement that. And you go again through the complete list of all the different projects, and you come to an agreement how complex it is to implement this project from a resource point of view, IT point of view, operationalization point of view, training point of view, and then you come to an agreement. In this calculation, you, name the, you take the cost of delay and you divide that by the job size. Okay. And then you have, let's say, not, not let's say, you have a clear prioritization, objective prioritization, where all the team representative from all the company that are empowered to take this, uh, this game through to prioritize your ideas, agree, and you have the priorities. For sure, in the reality, then you need to adjust. There are also other criteria that are relevant political criteria within the company, outside the companies, with the shareholders, the board of directors want to have this on that, but the team is empowered. They can recalibrate that and say, if this is the most important project for the board of directors, even if it has less value, less cost of value and bigger complexity, then you can reshape your planning, but your priority, but please do not change it completely because then it doesn't make sense to do that. 
And I really used this, um, this way of prioritizing, prioritizing several ways. And it was a great way because everybody in the team was agreeing. And therefore, we had already an, uh, a group of people that were spreading their word of mouth. We are doing stuff in the right way. We are pri prioritizing in an objective way. And it's not the hippo, highest, um, uh, highest paid person opinion. Mm -hmm. that decide or is screaming the, the most and so on, but you have an objective way of prioritizing your project. I will share with you a small overview that make it simple and easier that you can share with your, um, with your audience, uh, but this really helps also as a communication. People get motivated because they are involved. They are part of the prioritization project. It's not the board of director or somebody else saying which are the priorities and therefore it really extremely help companies defining priorities yeah amazing and like i was actually going to ask you greg because i know 65 percent of people are visual learners and so some some people might need to see something to help them comprehend what you're talking about but I mean, I think I get it overall and it makes sense. And I suppose, again, like a lot of my clients, a good number of them are solopreneurs. And so they really do struggle with, you know, what do I need to prioritize? Do I need to prioritize servicing this existing client here and helping them with that? Or should I prioritize my sales and marketing and go out and try and find new clients? And so tools like this are going to be really helpful for them to understand, to, to logically work out and see which one is most impactful and important in their business all of the time. And so I suppose, you know, let me ask you that question, because for solopreneurs and small business owners, let's imagine two or three people on a team. And they have this, I won't call it a dilemma, but a question about, you know, should I hire someone now? How much money, how much more revenue or turnover does the company need to make or do I need to make before I'm in a position to hire someone? Um, maybe it's not even hire someone. I mean, I've had conversations with clients who are looking at perhaps, you know, they're working from home, but they're considering an office space and it's weighing up that value in terms of, what it will produce. So will this framework work for dilemmas like that? And how can they go about applying that to smaller companies like those? I think, yes, it works. And you can also extremely simplify that by asking you two questions. The first one is, how much does it cost to me to wait, for example, to hire somebody? And how much effort do I need to invest to hire somebody? And then you have this, let's say, number that I was sharing earlier, and you can comparing to, for example, servicing another uh, client. If you need to choose between these two options, you do the, exactly the same than with servicing the customer. How much does it cost me or how much value bring me to service customer divided by how much effort you have? And you need to put them in relation and then you can define, shall I hire somebody? And this somebody then will later uh, service the customer or I service the customer and I am still in the same dilemma because I don't have nobody that support me. It means big or small companies, big or small projects, this uh, framework helps really to identify your next priority in an objective way. And mm -hmm. even, you, even if you are alone, you can, in the, a solopreneur, you can do it in an objective way 
and not full of emotion in the evening. Oh, it's 10 o'clock in the evening. I'm still working. Okay, tomorrow I will hire somebody. And now I'm working on this and that. And you are then still by emotions. And if it's your, you are alone or it's, it's a small board of directors, it's exactly the same. You are trying to take out the emotions. You are trying to take out who is the better at selling his or her idea. And you can, let's say, prioritize in an objective way where you have an agreement, consent between all the people there. And you have then an overview that you can share because you can explain that. And it's really about cost of delay divided by how much effort it is in a relative way. You need always the reference and then you can start doing your job from, from tomorrow. It's extremely easy and happy to share this, this small overview for you. Fantastic, Greg. That's a great answer. And I think I love what you said there about being able to take the emotion out of it as well, because for small business owners, I mean, we are all so emotional about our business and our company and our brand and everything that we do for people. So I love that. And there was something else you said when we started to talk about about um, about the weight is shortest job first style of prioritization. And that was stop starting, start finishing. So for those of us who have shiny object syndrome and we start loads of projects and kind of finish them, but maybe don't do anything with them when they're finished, what tips or advice would you give so that that just stops happening? Oh, I, I think there are a lot of, uh, of hints that we can share, but I think it's really, you need again to think about what I want to achieve, you define your object, you achieve them, and then you go, you go to the next thing. I think this is really the focus, being uh, understanding that you need to finish something before you go to the next thing. It's, it's extremely important. We all have a lot of ideas, but if we want, and we are in contacting, discussing, and we want to create a relationship with the customer, and then you commit to something, finish it, and then you go to the next one. We all have um, something that it's scarce, it's resources, it's budget, it's time or something like that. And therefore I think this is key and this is extremely nice because I share it in my for at my former company, I'm sharing in the corporate uh, job that I have now. And all the people now are saying, uh, uh, that's, that's really good. What was stop starting, start finishing and so on. It's all about focus, focus, finish it. Perhaps you have the minimum viable product, what you want of, of your idea. But then you can test it. You can say it works, it doesn't work, and then it goes to next. If you start 200,000 things at the same time, you finish nothing and you won't achieve your targets. Yeah, and you know what? That's so true in terms of achieving goals. It's equally true in terms of when we start talking even about a 1,000 things or 200,000 things, we confuse ourselves with all of the ideas. And it's great to brain dump and write all of the things down, but we don't have to achieve everything instantly either um so yeah that totally makes sense greg the the last thing exactly what you're saying also based on that if you have a, a great idea write it down put it in your backlog and as soon as your backlog is full you have time to do that to take the next thing that you want to do then you can choose it and take it never forget to put down all your ideas i am always something with me that i write down my ideas and everything what i want to do but you need to define priorities because if you don't have priorities you will never finish anything amazing amazing greg thank you so much for sharing those i think that's going to be really insightful for a lot of business owners 
you know, who who are just so passionate about everything they do. But I mean, a lot of people who start companies and business owners, they start because they're passionate about what they do. They don't always know all of these little tricks and tools and techniques that are available to help them accelerate their business growth. Is there anything else, Greg, that, you know, I haven't asked you that you're like, I really should share that, Deirdre. Tell, tell us, tell us and the listeners, what, what else do you need to get off your chest that's going to benefit them? I think that the, the, the really important thing is, and it's what I'm learning with, uh, with my podcast, it's about consistency. You need to be consistent. If you start, for example, in my case, a podcast, you cannot expect result after uh, sharing two episodes because the first episode, my mother listened to that. I hope so, at least. And perhaps in the second one, it's my mother and my friends. And therefore, you need to be consistent. And I'm seeing that now that I'm coming to roughly 100 episodes, that with this consistency really helps because then outside people knows I can relate. I am sure that he will publish every Monday his podcast. The second one is follow your passion. You're, if you are passionate at what you are doing, it's much more easier to work, also longer hours. And, and therefore, it's, it's, I think this, this is really, really key. Consistency, passion, and you will achieve your result. Greg, thank you so, so much. And oh, I couldn't agree with you more. And I love that you've, you've ended on that note. Consistency and passion about what you're, what you're chasing and pursuing. Amazing. Greg, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a great pleasure. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for the invite to join this discussion and also to your audience. I hope that you enjoyed this discussion. And Greg, where can people find you or your podcast so that they can check out what you have to, to offer? Thank you very much. LinkedIn, uh, I am every day there. I'm not answering every day to all the messages. I'm sorry, but uh, in, 48, in 48 hours, I will answer to, to your message. LinkedIn is the best way to contact me. And if you want to, to look at what I'm doing, it's on my website, cxgoalkeeper.com slash podcast. You will find my podcast. Thank you very much. And it's all on all uh, repository that you know about podcasting, Apple, Spotify, Google, etc. Et Fantastic. And I will share Greg's amazing resources in the show notes as well, so that you can get further insights into what he was talking about in case, like me, you're a visual learner and need to see things written down. And be sure to check out Greg's website and podcast. Until next time, 